0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Where You Are. Today is February, January.
1: It's Monday Martin Luther King Jr. Day. January the 18th. That's right. Yes.
0: We're both off work. Yes. And recording this a little late, but it's still going to come out on a Monday. It's entirely my fault. You can blame me. I'm not blaming anybody. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I'm so happy to have listeners and I always appreciate your input. If you are listening, be sure to subscribe. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. And if you're on a platform that allows you to leave a review or to give us a star review, do that. I don't make any money off of it, grant you. But it's still nice to build an audience it helps get a word out algorithmically yes thank you algorithmically today by the way fox while you were in here editing i went on to Khan academy and started doing some math classes they're
1: not paying us by
0: the way no oh yeah and i passed all the little quizzes so i keep moving up to different levels so eventually very soon i'm sure i'll get to a level where i don't know what i'm doing for those of you who don't know i'm very challenged with math so i'm as an adult I'm going to try to overcome that because this morning I was watching this great video from, oh, Barbara, her name is escaping me. Wawa. (laughs) No, it wasn't Barbara Wawa. But it was called Learning How You Learn or Learning About Learning. And she was talking about the way we learn. She was talking about focused learning versus diffuse learning. She was talking about memory and all these things. And it just really inspired me. Because one of the things that she talked about is how you really can improve your brain by learning new things or putting yourself into new situations. That's why travel, for instance, is so important. So anyway, I was traveling this morning to the land of Khan Academy, mm-hmm. math land.
1: Yes. Before you know it, I'll be doing advanced trigonometry and calculus. And all the things you'll learn will all be packaged into neat little functions on an Excel spreadsheet. Ew, I hate Excel.
0: So today, we're going to be sharing a conversation that I had with Misty Haynes, who is a friend of mine that I work with. She works in the cosmetology program at Bevel, where I teach, and she's just a wonderful person all the way around. I I wanted to have a conversation with her on the podcast because when she and I talk, it's just very natural and... I know a lot about her, and I think that she's a wonderful, giving, caring person, and I wanted to share that with the world. She also brings up some things that are, you know, we get into some (laughs) topics that are kind of sad or maybe dark a little bit, talking about death a little bit, talking about miscarriages a little bit. So I just want to warn people in advance
1: that those things are in the conversation. They're conducted with respect, and they're conducted with an eye towards being good and useful and helpful. Yes. Oh,
0: absolutely. She's simply sharing her truth. She's sharing her story and her experience. And yeah. that's what makes her so powerful. The first time I remember realizing what a wonderful, unique person she was, was at one of our graduations a few years back. She spoke. She was just really good. You know, she does hair, by the way. So
1: recently Fox colored his hair. Yes. What, what made you do that? And what color is it? The dye itself, brands itself as a very striking hot Bright pink, sort of thing. Granted, I have more of a dark blonde, so it muddles out to something between magenta and rose gold. What can I say? I have a stable job now. It's in academia, so it's very safe in terms of progressive ideologies and identities and appearances and performances. The way politics may be, I just feel like I need to be more visible for several reasons. I don't know if I can eloquate right now (laughs) eloquate is that a word eloquate elocute i don't know i don't know but i like it your hair
0: looks great we survived an apartment fire which i don't really want to talk about that much because it's in the past now you know we've moved on but it did cause a little cessation in our podcast for about a month Mm -hmm. but we're back new place new digs all that we're back baby but one of the things i've enjoyed about this past week is that we also kind of got back into being a little more relaxed and watching some of our shows so rupaul is back on rupaul is back on. and we've been watching rupaul's drag race we just finished watching the rupaul's drag race uk which i think the premiere of season two i just think that drag race uk is the best of the brand
1: i know that you say it's thailand thailand season two i will say is the best but uk is up there probably for the english speaking section yes
0: yeah they they have such a great rapport with each other i don't know if it's because the uk is smaller than the u.s or i think they're
1: also wittier it I may don't know. be there may be an exoticism to that it may be that it's just unfamiliar to us right. and and so it's more novel but there there's definitely a you get those kicks of, yes, I'm having fun here. They seem warmer. Absolutely, they seem warmer.
0: Well, aside from you know, RuPaul, we've, we, we did watch Wonder Woman, not Wonder Woman 1984, and you were right. Way back on this podcast, before it ever came out, you predicted something. I predi- spoiler alert.
1: Hold on. Spoiler alert. So I had predicted way back when that... Maxwell Lord was going to pull some shenanigan and it was going to lead to a false or otherwise impermanent Steve Trevor to come back into Wonder Woman's life and there'd be some semi-climactic moment in the movie where she'd have to let him go and I mean the details are a little off it he's not doing it it's because of the wishing stone for lack of a better term but yeah yeah that more or less happened and I'm quite proud of that yeah you called that one I guess we
0: both agree that we did not think Wonder Woman 1984 was fantastic. Fantastic, no, no. no. And for me to say that—that's—I'm kind of, like a super fan, but I really guess if you put me up against the comic fans, I'm more of the 70s television show fan who came to the comics later.
1: Well, Linda Carter makes an appearance in this movie, so it's safe to say that there's a role and a presence of that fandom, yeah. And for me, that was
0: maybe the best moment. And I don't mean that as a read. I'm not reading the movie, because there were moments that I really enjoyed, and I thought if I had been in a theater with a crowd, that it might have been more enjoyable, because sure. it was a big spectacle of a movie, and there were lots of those big scenes that might have been more fun. But when Linda Carter, again, spoiler... When Linda Carter shows up in the credits, I thought, yeah, this was worth the wait. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, I don't feel like I wish I had not seen the movie at all. Would love to see a a third one at some point, which would be better than than this one. (laughs) Well, there will be a third one. And then we also recently watched Being There with Peter Sellers and
1: Shirley MacLaine. Very interesting. I have a lot of thoughts on my podcast, The Audio Parlor, which is still on hiatus until that's going to be an episode at some point.
0: It really is an interesting political satire, if nothing else. There's a lot more that you can read into that film. A political satire about empty sloganeering and about holding people up to be things or putting our values onto someone, even though they don't necessarily represent those values
1: in politics. And on top of that, the conversation around ableism and disability and neurodivergence that has come about in the modern day adds a whole other layer that I don't think the filmmakers even thought about. So that makes it really interesting to me specifically.
0: Absolutely. And the one thing, well, let's move on. Those are some of the things we've been doing since we've recuperated from the fire. I've lined up a couple of interviews for next month that I'm really excited about. And I just wanted to mention those. I was recently visiting with some friends of mine, Mandy and Robbie Kirk, who have a son named Jackson, and he's, I don't know how old he is, I think he's like 13 or 14, and he has his own YouTube channel, and we were watching some of his YouTube videos, and I just am fascinated by that. He's hes so intelligent. He has this wonderful broadcast voice. When you hear him, you'll be surprised. I just love the passion that he has for what he does, and also the skill that he has for creating those videos. A lot of them were gaming videos, like talking about video games, but he's
1: recently kind of morphed into something else in his videos. There's a longitudinal effect that people have talked about with YouTube. Channels are allowed to evolve that way in ways we haven't seen in other media.
0: And what I really liked about that is that he even made a video addressing the change. Mm -hmm. And he talked a lot like you do. He said, you know, some of you may wonder where I've been, you know, he, he doesn't put so much pressure on himself to do it like I do. I want, my, If I say mine are going to be every Monday, I want them to be every, every other Monday. Right. But there's more of a creative ebb and flow. And he took a break and he came back. And then he explained in a video essay about how he was changing from this one format to another and how he felt a responsibility to explain to the people who had been his followers and friends that this is what he's doing. And I think they were open to him doing that. People seem to be very accepting and warm and open about those kinds of changes that can happen in the forum. And he may have lost some. I think he did lose some people, but I don't think he got any
1: negative comments. That's good. That's good. Negative comments are really common on YouTube, and it's a a problem often discussed. That's true. And of course, the YouTube algorithm encourages formats in a way that don't necessarily fit what people like to express about YouTube, but it's a whole thing.
0: You know what I would love is if those of you who are listening, if you have YouTube channels that you subscribe to... I know that a lot of people follow people who, like Lindsay Ellis, who does those great video essays. Is she still
1: on YouTube or does she have her own? She's still on YouTube. They, she and a couple of have branched off into a paywalled service, but she's still on YouTube. Yeah. So any of you who listen, like, you know, I think of Kelly Griffith and
0: even whoever, whoever it is, the anonymous person who is in charge of R&B Soul Gold. I, I just think of some of the listeners that we have and I wonder... What, it, what do they follow on YouTube? Do they have some interesting things they could share? Because I love I think YouTube is an interesting forum. Sure. Is it dying out? Is it as popular as it once was amongst your generation?
1: Granted, I'm in such a hyper segmented part, it's hard for me to say I don't think I don't think it's dying anytime soon. I think there's a strong argument that their most powerful, potent, demographically growing section has always been like, 11 to 15 year olds so they just i'm well keep... out of that <laughs> but the, but those 11 to 15 year olds are still to my understanding yeah i mean the, the paul brothers still exist well, i think it's great i mean i know there,
0: that there's trash and and negativity and scary things as well but mm-hmm. the good stuff is really interesting yeah. and uh, my other interview that i have lined up is coming up next weekend actually it'll be the next episode that'll air in two weeks is with a young man named sam badger who is running for the 5th City Council seat, or District 5 City Council seat in Tuscaloosa. It's actually Alberta City. It's the seat currently held by Kip Tyner, Mm -hmm. who has held that seat for as long as I can remember. Way back in my 20s when I lived in Tuscaloosa, Kip Tyner was on the City Council. And before then, he was on there. So I like Sam Badger. I've watched a lot of his Facebook Live videos about what his plans are. I want to talk to him. He also recently got a big endorsement from the Tuscaloosa I think it's called the West Tuscaloosa Labor Initiative or Union. I can't remember, but a big AFL-CIO affiliate. A big labor interest. Yeah. Sure. He has lots of great ideas for Alberta City. So I can't wait to talk to him. I think he's in his early 20s. Mm-hmm. I just think it's exciting when young people do that. Yeah. When I was his age, I would not have run for office. No. <laughs> so it's, it'll be great to talk to him. So uh, another thing I wanted to talk about that I've been thinking a lot about lately, Mr. Fox.
1: I'm here. You
0: remember when Obe was on?
1: Yes, from Thailand.
0: Right. So we had Oban, who I knew. I'd met him in Atlanta a few years ago, and he's a virologist, and I had him on to talk about life in Bangkok and, you know, just life as a doctor and a virologist and a teacher. And toward the end of that interview, we did talk about movies because he's a real big film buff. He loves to go see movies, and he loves to also go try interesting, cool foods at great restaurants. And he had just seen a film. Do you remember what film that was? It was a Disney movie. Was it Soul or was it Inside
1: Out? It was probably Inside Out. It wasn't
0: Soul because that wasn't out yet. So it was Inside Out probably.
1: And one of the things that
0: he talked about that came up in that movie was the concept of is there a part of you that's essential, like that you carry with you through all the changes in life? Is there some core to you, right? Like if if you had to figure out who your core was, who would that be? And that just has stayed with me. That's one of the things I love about talking to all these people on the podcast is Just like that woman was saying this morning in that video on learning, diffuse learning is when you're not actually focused on the topic, but you're maybe listening to music or you're sleeping or whatever. A lot of times when I'm in my diffuse state of mind, when I'm listening to music, driving in the car, these things come into my head that people on the show have said or even things that they've done and they just stay with me and I really reflect on them. And this concept of who your core is really just stays with me because I often wonder what happens to the you of the past and and who do you carry forward with you? And one of the things that brought this up for me recently is I was listening to Lucinda Williams, her self-titled album called Lucinda Williams. Mm -hmm. And it's such a great album. There's Side of the Road and Passionate Kisses and just so many great songs on there. And that album, that album, that music has something to do with the core of me. Because when I listen to it, I feel at home. Is there anything that makes you feel that way? Are there things that you think are at your core that you can't necessarily name, but something that
1: makes you feel connected to it? My mother played a chorus line a lot during spring cleaning type activities growing up so that carries a lot of a lot of nostalgia for me and i think isn't it great that tits and ass yes. the song you guys for those of you who don't know also could, known could as connect
0: you to your core we could we could call it dance 10 looks three. <laughs> oh, dance 10 looks three but, but that is but the alternative tits and ass is what
1: stands out true and sorry is- if my mom's listening mm-hmm. i said the a word part of why i was chuckling earlier there was another record we played on your record player earlier uh, a couple weeks ago that is still sticking with me it's lily tomlin pretending to be a telephone operator that was so good and she's got a line very early on when she's playing the telephone operator that just sets the tone for the whole thing where she's just like oh no sir i I could be misquoting here oh no sir you cannot get away from us we are omnipotent I love that. That was a
0: great album. I found that for a dollar. Actually, it was seven dollars at an antique mall. When I got up there, the woman said, no, that's a seven. I was like, I'm not arguing with you. It is Lily Tomlin. Music really does do that for me, that connection. Like I remember when Obe and I talked about that and he was really good. He He named a few things that were at his core, right? I think honesty and something, a few things. Mm-hmm. And I guess I could name some things, but I really can't. It's less about naming it and more about feeling it Mm -hmm. that's what that woman this morning barbara whatever her name was talking about diffuse thinking made me think of like sometimes you think of things but you're not really naming them conceptualizing them you're feeling them and i can feel my core with certain music like lucinda williams joni mitchell i listened to that i know i've talked about it a lot and i I should stop but the r&b soul gold playlist yes from the person i found on on uh, instagram mm-hmm. there's something certain songs on there that i love soul music i love r&b and i love country especially like the americana stuff like like Lynn, L- lucinda williams so that all makes me feel kind of at
1: home mm-hmm. but it's tits and ass for you tits i'm and ass. sorry what's it called <laughs> <laughs> that is an alternate title, but the other title is Dance 10 Looks 3. Dance 10 Looks 3. For for some context for some people, she swiped her evaluation card after an audition and it said for dance she got a 10, for looks she got a 3. So she went to the plastic surgeon. Simple as that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, just one last thing I want to say before we move on to Misty. I've been thinking a lot about my future and I think I've talked about it on the podcast too, like this feeling that, you know, some sort of change is coming. And I'm still thinking about it, you know, doing the podcast and talking to all these people who do interesting things in their lives is inspiring to me and actually helps me think about what I want to do in the next phase. I'll be 50 in four years. I just turned 46. Mm -hmm. So I'm still thinking about that. I still think the podcast and what I'm doing here has something to do with it. And I'm also deciding whether or not I should stay in teaching I love the students for the most part. <laughs> I mean, that part of it, the classroom for the most part. Sure. I love the creative part of coming up with the syllabus and the readings and the assignments. And I don't love the administration. I don't like a lot of the things that they do. But will I stay in education? I don't know. But, but if I do, I still I have to continue branching out and doing things like this that I really I really love doing these things. I want to write more. I want to sing You know, all I ever really wanted to do was be a lounge singer. That's it. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to sit on top of a piano somewhere and sing songs, Mm -hmm. good or bad. I would be interested, I guess in the past, I've not really addressed my listeners as much as I am today, but something just moved me to actually speak directly to the listener. I would love, if you ever want to talk on the show, if you want to be a guest, let me know, because I would love to talk to you about where you are, what's going on in your life, where you want to be, anything that you're doing. That you love to do, that you want to do, stories that you have to tell. I love storytellers. Uh, I, I really want to get some really much older people on to talk about their lives and experiences to tell those good old stories. Is there a way for them to reach out and share these yeah. things with you? So, if you just thank you, Fox, <laughs> that might be helpful. If you go to where dot com, dot you can actually email from there. Yes. If you're someone who knows me, you can just text me or call me or send me a letter in the snail mail. But if you're someone listening in another state, in another country, and you would like to be on... You know, I can think of people right now that I'm scared to ask. Sure. There are people uh, that I want to ask, but I haven't asked them yet. But maybe next season will be for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The people that I was afraid to ask. So... We'll move on to the interview with Misty Haynes who is part of the cosmetology program at Bevel State Community College. She has a wonderful background working in retail management in the in the beauty care industry. She has a background of philanthropy and community organization and she's just an all around sweet wonderful smart, sassy person I love her and I want to share this interview with you now. I hope you'll enjoy it, and I will see everyone in two more weeks with Sam Badger. I am here with one of my best friends, Misty Haynes, and colleague. We work together, too, and I invited Misty because I think she is a fascinating person. The first time I really, well, I always knew you were very interesting and cool and you have great fashion sense and you're just oh, like, warm sure. with people. But when you were speaking at graduation, I thought that woman is amazing. She is a motivational speaker in the truest sense. Like that was from your heart. That was so, you Ew. spoke so eloquently better than any. There was a politician there at that time, I think, who gave another speech. There were people who worked in the administration. Your speech was so good. Do you remember that speech? I Man. wish
2: I knew it like <laughs> verbatim I brought humor in because you know me my life I'm a firm believer there's times you it's either laugh or cry and I always look for a reason to laugh. I poke fun at myself all the time. The one thing I remember was talking about when I was in high school and the fact that Fred Flintstone was in my graduating class. So, yeah, <laughs> I poke fun at myself, but I wanted to reach out to the students and To the potential students that were in the crowd, because I've sat in graduation speeches where it was almost like, well, what am I doing here? You know, why am I listening to this? I personally don't find myself that interesting, but I think I'm typical. There are so many adults who age 40 and over are still really trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. And I wanted to share my story and let some of the people in the audience who might be able to relate to that, let them know it's never too late. So I thank you. It means a lot that, especially from you and you know, your writing expertise, it, it affected you. That means a lot.
0: Oh, and that's definitely a graduation speech I remember. There are many I don't. Let's talk about your story then, because I think you have a really interesting story. And I don't even know, where were you born and raised?
2: So I was born in Longview Hospital in Graysville, which later became Lowe's and is now an abandoned building. Kind of (laughs) set the tone right for my life. But my dad had just returned from Vietnam and had some issues. He left my mother and I right around the time I was born. So I ended up growing up with my mother and her parents in Carbon Hill. So I grew up. With older people, which is why, and I was an only child in that sense. My mother never had more children. My father went on to have three boys, so I do have brothers. But for my formative years, up until I started school, I was an only child surrounded by tons of cousins because we were a very close knit family. And my grandparents really helped raise me. I always said that if you saw my granddaddy and you looked down, I was there. He was a double amputee because of diabetes. My mother was a severe diabetic, so I have always championed the cause of diabetes to try to raise awareness. Mother remarried right before I started school, and I moved to the big city. I was in Jasper, Alabama. And I'm sorry, this is going to offend people, but I don't care. I graduated at what will always be Walker High School. Walker Vikings. I'm sorry if I offend people with that, but that's just my feelings. In high school, I wasn't really fully aware of all of the possibilities out there as far as scholarships and grants. I mean, my dad served in Vietnam. Had I known then what I know now, I could have gone immediately into school with his GI Bill, Uh but I wasn't made aware of it. And even scholarships, I was always... I wasn't the smartest kid in the room by any means, but I wasn't the dumbest either. I was an A, B student, so I could have qualified for scholarships, but I wasn't aware of that. So I took plan B, which was cosmetology school. Followed that road for a short time then and developed some allergies. Had to get out of cosmetology before I finished and got my license. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever told you that. It took me two tries to get my license. My first time through school, I was three months away from graduating, and this was a private school, so it was set up a little different, but I was three months away from graduating and had a severe allergic reaction to some chemicals, but I had had my hands in lighteners, colors, perms, and a straightener that day, so we really didn't know, and with no insurance, eh, it cost a lot of money, so My doctor at the time said, you may be in the wrong line of work, find Mm -hmm. something else. So I went into retail, kind of bounced around. And almost 10 years later, a friend of mine was going to that same cosmetology school. And the way it was set up at that time, things changed. But at that time, if you were out of school for a year, your hours were dead. It was like you went brain dead. You forgot everything you had learned and you had to start over. Mm -hmm. So I was there to get a haircut. From my friend and my former instructor, let me know. Hey, your hours are good again. That rule—they realized you don't go brain dead, so your hours are still good. And I was in a relationship at the time with someone who said, "Yeah, you need to do that. You've been doing it all these years, just not being able to pay." It was like, "Hey, I need a haircut. Why don't I cook for you? I've tasted your food before. Let's just call it a freebie and move on." But yeah, I went back through school, and that was in ninety, I believe ninety eight. And I've had my hands in cosmetology in some degree ever since. That's actually what led me to Bevel. I had worked in private salons, owned my own salon for a while. And when I moved, when I finally met Mr. Wright instead of Mr. Wright now, it <laughs> led me to Gardendale. And when you have private salon clients, a town like 40 minutes away, a lot of times they're not going to be willing to drive that far. So, I ended up going to work with what I thought was going to be a temporary situation for a corporate salon, Regis Corporation. They own Smart Style MasterCuts or did at that time. And I started working at the Smart Style in Gardendale. Had never had any thoughts or inclinations of going into the corporate world. And after working there for two months, I was named salon manager. Six months later, I was named district manager. I believe it was eight months after that, they made me a senior district leader. I had eight salons total that I was in charge of in the Birmingham Walker County area and was loving it, but it was a lot of hours. My favorite part of it though, was working with the new young stylist in the role of a senior district leader. You have to go to cosmetology schools to try to recruit the students to come to work for you. First time I walked in the door at Bevel State, I had never been there for any reason. And I met Robin Houston, who Ah. changed my life in so many ways. I gave my little spiel to the students, and it was the first time I had done it at any school other than the school where I went. I knew everybody there. I was comfortable. All of a sudden, I'm in a school where I know not a soul. I was a nervous wreck. And after it was over, she told me I was in the wrong role thought. She was telling me I didn't do a good job. My heart was broken. And she said, no, she said, you're supposed to be here with me teaching. Kind of ignored it for a minute and then went back and reflected on it. And every time I went, she said the same thing. She said, God told her I was supposed to be there. I think it was my third time there. I asked her, what do I do? How do I, you know, how do I enroll? I've never gone to college. What do I do? And y'all have been stuck with me ever since. And that was fall of 2016. And it's my home away from home. Y'all are my tribe. I love the environment there. I I truly feel at home.
0: Yeah, you are definitely part of the fiber of that campus for sure. All the students love you. What is it that you so enjoy about working with young stylists and people who are training to to do that in the future?
2: I have always been one who, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in at least one life the whole saying, you might not be able to change the world, but for one person, you might change their world. So my first semester there, seeing an aha moment in a student, and we all, any instructor gets to see those aha moments, whether it's seeing a student learn how to write correctly. When you see a student finally have that aha moment, that lets you know you have helped in some way. And beyond that, I know each department at the school is different, but for ours, Miss Houston is a firm believer in family. And our department is run like a family. If we have a student who is hurting away from school, something's going on in their personal life. As a group, we're there for them. That has affected me more than anything. And I still have former students who have moved on. They're in salons now and they'll reach out to me, ask me questions. Sometimes it is about cosmetology. Sometimes it's just life questions, but knowing that you can make a difference in somebody's life. That's, that's all I strive to do every day.
0: Yeah. I think especially where we are in the community college level and being part of the community and being able to interact with students so in such a close way well not so much during covid for me yeah. i think that's really part of our job is to connect with them and form relationships with them and i think those of us who've been through you know i've been through severe anxiety and depression in my life so i always do really well responding to students who are very open now about expressing that they have anxiety things like that and i will share with them that i've had the same experience so it's actually mutually beneficial, those relationships that we build with students, you know?
2: Oh, it is. We call ours at least once or twice a semester. We kind of jokingly call them therapy sessions, but we can tell when our students are getting stressed and it's reciprocated. They can see when we're being stressed about something, no matter how hard you try to hide it, you get to know each other when you're together as many hours as we are with our students. And we have, you know, little therapy sessions. We just talk. And like you said, with depression, anxiety, for years, I didn't let people know some of the struggles that I was going through, some of the battles I was fighting. And I discovered when you open the door and you let the light in and you let people see what you're going through, suddenly, even without asking for their help, you have more strength. When you're keeping it hidden and you're trying to keep it tucked away, hidden away, it's that much harder, harder to fight because you're also struggling to hide it. Once I started talking to people, whether it was students, friends, when I would tell them some of the things that I've been through, it was hard. A lot of things you don't want to admit. You don't want to let people know, but all of a sudden the shame goes away. There's no shame in it because you realize, hey, I'm not the only one going through this. And you're more vulnerable. And I think in roles of mm-hmm. instructors, a lot of times students don't know you're vulnerable. They think that you are, you've got it together. Everything's great. And yes, we need to keep that to to a degree. But at the same time, when they know that you're a human being, right, you have vulnerabilities too, they are able to see you in a much clearer light they're able to respond better to you when you ask them a question they can feel like they can truly answer you whether it's just a question in class or if you see something's going on and you want to reach out to them they feel more open to talk to you if they see that you have vulnerabilities too
0: yeah and i think one one of the things i've really loved about working there and working with you in particular is just that ability to really have an, a positive influence on their experience as students. And one of the ways that we do that, which I love is through our work. I was talking to Janina Nobles about this, how much I love the work that we do on the diversity committee. Misty and I serve together on the, what's called the subcommittee actually for our campus, but it's, it's a diversity committee. And we have done some really fun and interesting and important things as a committee. Is there something that you, we did that you really enjoy doing the most?
2: One of my favorite things is when we do the diversity fair. Yes. We all dig into whatever makes us diverse and try to bring food or something about that culture. So for me, I've been cooking the Irish soda bread. And then for Hispanic Heritage Month, we would always have one of the local restaurants bring us in the nachos and the salsa and it's not just the fact that it's food but they would talk to us like learning more about Dia de la Muerte am i saying that right the, the day of the dead day of
0: the day, yeah.
2: so so many people just think oh well that's just mexican halloween but learning more about it through the diversity fair and through the hispanic heritage month doing those kind of things it's like instead of Fearing it per se, it gives you that connection to it. Because I mean, let's face it, don't want to, you know, bring it down, but none of us are gonna get out of here alive. No, we're not. So, you know, knowing whatever your belief system is, because I respect all belief systems, I have my own. If you don't fear death, if you feel that it is a stepping off point to whatever your belief system is, that next level then if you aren't in fear of death, you can enjoy life. Yeah. If you live every day in fear of the inevitable, because it's going to happen, then you lose the ability to enjoy living in the moment, especially with everything going on right now with COVID. We have to, I say, respect death, but not fear it, and concentrate our efforts on making every day count, every moment of every day, and live life to the fullest. So, I recently lost my mom back in May. My mother was a very spiritual woman and, you know, I had I had already told you we lived with my grandparents when I was young. My grandfather passed away when I was 10 going on 11, and I thought my world was going to end because he was my father figure. My grandmother Lived several years later, but she was living with my mom and became bedridden. And my mom was able to take care of her. There was one night she had a vision, and she would tell you point blank no arguing it was a vision, it was not a dream. She was wide awake. She was talking to my grandmother and looked away at the clock for a moment because she was looking to see if it was time for my grandmother's medicine. And all of a sudden, when she blinked, my grandfather was standing in front of her with his brothers and they were in heaven. And he said, I just want you to see what you have to look forward to. And she said, she spent what seemed like hours walking through heaven. And then he walked her back and said, you know, I wish you could stay, but you can't, you know, I'll I'll come for you when, when it's your time. And she said, the next thing she knew, she blinked again and she was still looking at the clock. No time had passed. That's why she will be real quick or would have been quick to tell you it was not a dream, it was a vision that she was given. And from that moment on, she had no fear of death. My grandmother passed about two years after that. And my mom stayed steadfast in her belief that she had already seen heaven. So she knew what she had to expect. She wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like I'm going to get there fast. But when she was diagnosed with lung cancer, or she wasn't technically diagnosed. They wanted to do another test because they felt it was cancer. And she said, well, I'm not having any treatment. She was a severe diabetic. She was frail. She was a tiny little thing. She said, my body can't handle chemo or radiation. So I'm not going to have any kind of treatment. Why would I go and have y'all tell me, yes, you have cancer. There's nothing you're you going to do about it. So you now have a death penalty. And from March of twenty nineteen until February of twenty twenty you wouldn't have even known if most people didn't know it was just a very few of us who she was you know open with who knew about the situation and it happened very quickly from March to May. but I was blessed I look at Covid as a blessing in disguise because since I was working from home in the beginning and then was laid off it gave me the opportunity to be with my mother for those last few weeks we had so many deep meaningful conversations where the morning she passed i can honestly say i miss her every moment it's not that i'm glad she's gone but there was an expression on her face i remember exactly what i told her was i want to see what you're looking at because she was looking up into the corner of the ceiling, contentment doesn't even begin to describe it. If you've ever seen a child, the first time they see fireworks, the awe on their face, that was what she was looking at, was something that was just, it had that awe-inspiring expression. So I had that comfort of knowing that she was at peace. She was where she wanted to be. And I have always had, I don't want to say a love hate relationship with death, but much like you, I've found myself kind of obsessed with it at times over the years. You know, what can I do to prevent it? Or what if? What if? For me, the anxiety and depression that I felt over the years even did push me to some suicidal thoughts at one point. Thankfully, you know, I came out of that okay and I'm well, I'm doing fine, but it was. For me, losing her as painful as it is, now I know that so i've I've lost some pregnancies in my time, and I know that my babies are with their grandma and their papa and their mama and you know that's my belief system that's you know what gets me through the day that's what comforts me and consoles me and allows me to face each day of this crazy world we're living in
0: yeah and that's beautiful i'm i'm really glad that you' got that time with your mother before she passed
2: i wouldn't trade it for anything um and, and my heart goes out to everybody that during this pandemic you know all the people that were lost in hospitals alone that that truly hurts me and you know i wish i wish that we knew more about it to do more about it but
0: Oh, I wish that we had so much more knowledge about the lives of all the people who have passed during this pandemic. So that they're
2: more than a number.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we need a national memorial. I think we need more attention on it because these are human beings with families and friends and they had whole lives, no matter what age they were. I don't care if they were in their 80s or 50s or 40s, you know, I mean.
2: I lost two close friends back over the summer, as well as them, my son's friend from high school, he was on a ventilator and he's 28 years old. He was on a ventilator for 28 days and he's doing much better now. But you know, when I saw that he was in the hospital on a ventilator, this guy is healthy as a horse, had played football all his life, worked, on a race team, very strong individual, no underlying health issues. And if it could take him that hard, then this is a real thing.
0: But it does make you, I started focusing more on what I want to do with my life.
2: Yes. What's that line in mm-hmm.
0: the Rose by Bette Midler? It's the soul afraid of dying who yeah. never learns to live. I really want to, I think I've heard so many people say that when you I was listening to Jane Fonda on Reba McIntyre's podcast the other day, and she said she doesn't want to get the thing you don't want to regret at the end of your life is is what you didn't do. That's yeah. what most people regret is what they didn't do. So I, I think it'd be interesting to talk about what you want to do, what you Misty Haynes think about because I know you're in, you're you're working on another degree. What is your wish, your goal for the next phase
2: of life for you? to survive college at 50 for one thing. (laughs) I just want to make a difference. However that road takes me. I mean, right now it is Bevel State, you know, the assistant in cosmetology. And I love that. If it leads me to one day be the head cosmetology instructor, that's wonderful. Then I can affect lives that way. If it leads me into, you know, working for nonprofits, then that's fine. I'm, I'm kind of sitting back and taking, taking an inventory of what's going on in my world, in the world in general. I don't have, I can say I have no regrets. I'm not looking to leave Bevel. I love it there. That's, that's home, but we never know what's going to happen down the road. As long as I can positively influence someone every day, then whether I can make a living doing it or not, that's beside the point. The degree that I'm in right now, I'm getting a Bachelor of Arts. It's in interdisciplinary studies, which is a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Right now, the focus is on leadership, but I'm changing it from leadership to community studies because I would rather have more classes in community studies. I've taken quite a few sociology classes, quite a few change in the South social change in the south and oddly enough I'm even in a class on death but it's to give me a broader horizon to where I can affect people's lives in more ways whether that means being an advisor on a campus somewhere or working with a nonprofit helping women leave abusive relationships or helping young people who have been victims of you know sexual abuse Any way that I can affect a change for the better, I'm there.
0: And you are definitely the right person. I mean, that is part of who you are. When I think of you, that is the kind of thing I think of you doing. You have a servant's heart. You really do. And like you said, even if it's not your career, you're always going to be doing that, trying to make a difference in people's lives. You have been the driving force behind some really good things, like when you... Got all of that stuff together for the, was it, what hurricane was it? I don't know. Hurricane
2: Harvey, when it hit Houston.
0: How did you manage to do that? You really wrangled everybody into that.
2: I have some amazing teammates at Bevel. So the hurricane hit like at night. I woke up that morning, turned on the news, and I have friends and family that live near Houston. And I saw on the news what was going on. So I reached out immediately to Miss Houston and I said, hey, do you think we could do something in our department, in our little cosmetology world, to maybe get some supplies sent to Houston? I said, they're going to need mosquito repellent because this was during the warm weather. I said, they're going to need emergency, like first aid supplies. I said, they're also, it was at the beginning of the school year. So they were going to need school supplies. And she said, hey, let's do it. And the next morning when I or like later on that morning when I got to school, I said, do you think we could do this maybe across the campus? She said, go upstairs, talk to Chris Franklin. <laughs> and I, look, I this was when I first came and I didn't know anything about, you know, like the chain of command. Sure. I just do what I'm told. And then he actually said, hey, think we could do this across all the campuses? Sure, the more the <laughs> merrier. He got me in touch with Tana Collins. And then the next thing you know, People were coming from the community because we were, we had it blasted all over social media. And our department, every table in our classroom was piled high with clothing, with diapers, adult diapers. That's something a lot of people don't think of. But when you've got older people who are displaced because their homes are flooded, you've got adult diapers, you've got all these other supplies like that. And then we had 50 book bags that we filled up and sent. And we partnered with... think it was John Crump Toyota out of Jasper, but it was one of the local car dealerships. They sent, I believe it was a total of two 18 wheelers full of supplies to Houston. And that was
0: started with your idea.
2: (laughs) It was just looking at the news and saying, okay, there's a need. These people need help. What can I do? Just me to help. And I knew just me, I couldn't do anything, but me plus 20 students, and then plus however many instructors, and it just snowballed and they ended up, the news came out and covered it because it was such a, such a large amount of supplies that were being sent. But that was that, thank you for giving me credit. I just say, I was just the first one to it. I know somebody else would have if it hadn't been me, but I'm glad that we got it done.
0: What I've learned working at community college, is that is the power of people working together? Somebody does have a I, you did start that, but the scope of it, the magnitude of it, is because other people got on board and everybody worked together. And we do that on the diversity committee. We do things together. We do that with our students. We do that. You do things with Ms. Houston. It really is call is community college at its best. I don't think that we always achieve that, that same level. And of course, you can't always be perfect, but that is the goal. Like What you do, the way you connect with students, the way you have initiative and you bring people together and you do important things for the community and for the students and for us, you can make faculty members' lives better. You make staff, seriously, you're a bright light. So- yeah. That I learned from people like you at community college. It's not that I was a horrible person before. I don't want to make yes. that sound that way. No, no, but no. I've learned to be more community driven, more group oriented, the power of the collective, you know, the power. And individuals are important too, but.
2: Well, the individuals make up the community. And you mentioned the speech that I gave. I remember bringing up the fact that the faculty, the staff, and the students at Bevel, they put the community in community college. A lot of schools, you go in and you feel like a number. You don't feel like a member of a community. Community college is true, they're smaller, and I can't speak for others. I've just been to a few when I was doing, you know, my little come work for me spill when I was a cosmetology district leader, but I can honestly say Bevel is the first one that I really felt that community, the sense of community, it was kind of like the three musketeers, you know, one for all, all for one. It seems like we really do have the betterment of the community in mind versus what can the community do for me for the most part everyone that I've come into contact with it's what can we do to improve the community how can we reach out more one of the things that you and I have talked about and I I won't I won't really go into detail about it because you know you don't want to jinx anything but I would love to see the little partnership that you and I were talking about with the wow. young people, that would be amazing so that you know, the young people in the community have more access to books, to literacy, because our area, unfortunately, there is an issue with the haves and the have nots, and we need to help the have nots have more. Absolutely. Because not everybody can afford to go to a four-year university, but we do a whole lot for the community to improve them. Even if they don't make it to the school, we still help the community.
0: Absolutely. And we, here's the thing about community colleges and all universities too, wherever you are, we're in Summerton and Dora and Walker County. We, the people who work for that institution, are getting a lot because of our careers in that, in that area. Like we're taking things, we're taking our salary, you know, we're taking, those of us who are full-time and have, we're taking benefits, we're taking retirement. We get a lot, especially faculty and administration. I know you're right? <laughs> but, but you also, but you get a lot too of personal, fulfillment, oh, yeah. of career fulfillment. So it is incumbent upon us. I think it's our moral duty to give back because we're taking so much personally. So to look around and see that there's poverty and illiteracy in Walker County. And we have so many community, co- we have two community colleges, don't we in Walker County pretty much? I just, we just need to do more. It's upon. We have to. Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap things up here. This has been so, I knew this, <laughs> I knew
2: that
0: it's the same with you and Janina. It's like the three of us, we need to have our own podcast together.
2: Oh, that would be so much fun.
0: It'd be like The View without all the bickering. <laughs> so, but I love The View, not to disparage it. But I asked somebody, I was interviewing Obe, this friend of mine who lives in, in Thailand. He was talking about a movie that he had seen, and it was all about emotions and your who your core is. So that question has stuck with me, because we go through so many changes, and we go through so many relationships and jobs and people in our lives. We change a lot. But what stays the same? Who are you at your core? What would that be for you?
2: Oh, my. It's maybe it's a
0: <laughs> fair question.
2: <laughs> it, it would be kind of hard to say. I've grown over the years. And like you said, at one time in my life, it was what can I do to better myself? And I looked within and realized that it's a little bit selfish, but, you know, so be it. The way that I've learned to better myself is by bettering those around me. I surround myself with people who are smarter than me for a reason. I surround myself with people who encourage me, who motivate me, and I try to be that person for others. I guess who I am at the core is someone who loves deeply and who wants to see a better world. For I have two grandchildren, and I want to leave them a world that is better in every sense of the word. If it means motivating someone to spend more time in school than maybe they want, so that they can you know have a better lot in life and you know have more money than you know, they grew up around, so be it. If it's motivating someone to help someone else to see outside themselves. And the one thing we do in our department is we teach them the importance of giving back, the importance of doing for others. And if I can see that rolling forward, it's, it's kindness. Just be kind. It's not that hard. It doesn't cost a penny. Just follow the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have done unto you. Just be kind. You know, we don't always have the money to pay it forward. Like when we're sitting in a line at Starbucks, when we can, I most certainly do, you know, Hey, the person behind me, how much is there? So let me go ahead and put it on my tab. But even if I don't have the money to do that, I can hold a door for somebody, you know, I can stand there and wait. I can show patience. I can show kindness. If someone is standing in line with a screaming toddler and I can see the frustration on their face, regardless of how much I might want to just hurry up and get out that door. So I don't have to hear that screaming child. I can say, would you like to go in front of me? Yeah. I can see you've got your hands full. That's, that's who I am at the core is just somebody who wants to make a difference.
0: That, that is, that rings so true one of the things i love the golden rule i love that idea of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you and it was i guess it was in my late 30s i realized i saw it from a different perspective i think most of my life i had seen it as sort of a passive thing like almost like don't do that to other people if you don't want them to do it to you that's not what it says it says no. do do unto others. It's an yeah. active calling, right? You need to go and do those things
2: exactly. that, you
0: are good, that you would want done to you. And I I said so powerful.
2: And you um, know, the that. one thing I've started doing, especially during all this the pandemic mess, I kind of pick out the people who are showing more anger, who are showing more stress, and I probably drive them crazy, but they're the ones that I show even more kindness. The best way to change the world is one person at a time with a smile. We can't see smiles with the mask we have to wear Mm -hmm. right now, but you can still spread smiles with your words, with your actions, with your deeds. Those are the people I choose are the ones who are in need of it the most. And that's what I've come to realize. The older I've gotten, I used to hold a lot of animosity to people who were impatient and full of hate. it it made me hate. And I started taking a long look at it. And I said, you know what, they're that way because they need someone to show them love. They need someone to show them patience. And there've been a few times when I've done that in stores or whatever. And people would make a comment that put a smile on their face for the day that, you know, they were apologizing for their attitude earlier. And my theory is don't ever apologize for your feelings because they're your feelings you know, you can apologize for actions. Am I perfect? Heavens no. Do I hurt people's feelings? I'm sure I do because I can be, I I can be brutally honest at times, but at the same time, if I am, it's because I want them to improve. So it's constructive criticism.
0: Right. That teacher in you comes out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has been so good talking to you
2: it's been so good is, talking to you. This
0: is going to be an excellent episode of the podcast. Fox is peeking in.
2: <laughs> Sorry, uh, Fox. <laughs> you're fine.
0: Thank you so much for, for doing this. Don't go anywhere. I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk to you some more after I stop recording, okay?
2: Okay. I'll hang.
0: Where You Are was created by Jimmy Ellenberg, and edited by fox williams our intro is small piano from the Ant Hill album by patricia taxon all music was used with permission the views expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution for which i have ever worked or will ever work thanks for listening have a nice day wherever you
2: are